Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Regeneration Podcast. This is going to be a different type of show. Why is it going to be different, uh, Mr. Michael Martin from Grass Lake, Michigan? Because we're going to make it up as we go. <laughs> totally. Not that we don't always do that, but... We have a, a guest who uh, might have been delayed in travel, so uh, hope to have this person on another time, but we figured we'd just kind of wing it without... And it's rare uh, for people who know Michael and I think who know me to think that um, even when we thought we would start riffing on things, that uh, each of us are bringing a certain level of fatigue. I woke up this morning, I think I was dehydrated, and so I just felt dizzy. And so uh, I, I was not definitely not on my A game, but maybe that's a good thing. And you have massive snow coming in there, Michael? Yes, I'm tired of snow. So this is three weeks in a row. <laughs> so two weeks ago, we had this massive ice storm that knocked us out of power for two weeks, which is why I was not there for Guido. Then last week, right after we finished, we got a foot of snow, which almost melted by yesterday. But now I, we at least have seven inches on the ground right now that fell overnight. Yeah. So, Isn't that but funny? I have to plant pretty soon. Speaking of, so yeah. I'm asking you, I have, uh, you're, we're going to call, how do you describe yourself? A professional gardener? Like I'm an amateur gardener. Um, no, well, I, I know I'm a professional farmer. I, I was a professional gardener. I was actually for, uh, well, I was a Waldorf teacher. I might have almost did that instead of Waldorf teaching. I probably made a lot more money. Uh, I used to do garden design and gardening for people. Do you have many like designed gardens in your house where I've been? Pardon me? Like around the house. It was kind of new when I was out at your place. Are you, do you design gardens? You're just totally focused on like farming right now. Or like at your house, do you have some of your trademark, you know? Uh, well, it, the idea is to, in a, in a biodynamic farm, is to make it beautiful. So mm. we do incorporate flowers into our beds. But, and I haven't really landscaped around the house too much. Mm -hmm. um, there is, we have a rock garden, which I've done some work on, but I haven't really, well, what I've been focused more on, uh, since we moved here, on fruit trees actually okay you mm -hmm. know um, so but when i was a landscape designer and a garden designer i in fact i did uh it's gonna it's gonna tie in for something we're gonna talk about later later today um so when i went to i, went, I was a student i graduated from mary grove college where i taught for a while before it closed down uh and so i, I started working there in 2000 something I think I became full-time in 2007. I was part-time for a while before that. And while I was still teaching there, my old Shakespeare professor, Maureen DeRoche, I don't think she listened to the show, but I love her anyway, who had, when I was a student there, she hired me to take care of her garden. Huh. And when she retired, the faculty or the English department came to me and said, you know, we have some alumni who want to make a donation in, in Maureen's honor. Would you, and a, we know you used to be, be her gardener. Would you like to design a Shakespeare garden in her honor? Which I did. And Mary Grove had a very cool, you know, neo-Gothic architecture. It was a gorgeous building. I've seen the campus, yeah. It was like a, it was like a castle. And uh, so in this one spot we found uh, uh, near the building, I was able to design this Shakespeare garden. Had, had, it was full, replete with the, the bust of Shakespeare himself. And uh, all the, not all, but many of the plants that appear in Shakespeare's plays. Okay. And probably my crowning achievement as a garden designer. <laughs> and then two, two years later, they closed the school. I'm sure it's been plowed under by now. I was wondering, I, do you think it actually has been plowed under or maybe just not? Well, if it has been plowed under, it's weeded over. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. You're, you're okay. For sure. You're saying, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, people probably, they know you're, you've got a big farm and everything. I, I don't know if I've told, because it's not really a story. It's pretty small, but I grew up in the suburbs, uh, Penfield, New York. And then uh, my wife and I, and I was working in the city for the Catholic church and all of a sudden kids, we had four kids in five years and we were either going to commit to the city and I don't want to really run down the suburbs so much. My own childhood looked exactly like E.T., you know, big wheels, packs of boys. Yeah. Uh, it was the best of the few movies that captured, I think the movie Super 8 
captured it pretty good too, to a certain extent, Stranger Things. Um, but the, uh, so we were either going to stay in the city of Rochester, you know, and get involved in, I guess would be social justice. I have no idea. And then all, um, or the country. And so my sister, I went to SUNY Geneseo and my sister, who was a senior when I was a freshman, she quote unquote married a townie. And uh, so she settled out this way. And my wife, Amy and I just thought, hey, well, uh, we'll move out to the country a little bit and settled out in Hemlock, New York, which we call the gateway to Appalachia. And we have a third of an acre, a third of an acre. And uh, we've invested, there was some great tall nine foot fencing by a guy next to us, a much bigger house than ours. Let me tell you, I've raised four kids in a house, 1300 square feet. And that's been a blessing right now because my kids, they knew how to fly the coop. Uh-huh. And uh, my youngest now just graduated from college. And uh, we're glad that we don't have too much house to take care of. And we've got a lot of room. We've configured it to come back. But in a third of an acre, uh, we inherited two sides of the backyard, just an amazing fence built by a famous doctor who lived next to us. And he uh, was a hypochondriac. He had copper gutters, bomb shelters, and anything he invested in his house was huge. So it was his fence. And it's just great. And so, you know, deer for us, at least on half of our backyard, no problem. Then I put up post and rail. And we were pretty good. Deer could jump it. And then just last year, we spent a couple of grand. And uh, so to have a third of an acre just really well fenced in is is nice, right? Because deer are going to be a perennial problem. And so, but on that third of an acre, I've had dwarf goats on and off. Um, currently, I have eight chickens. No, I have seven chickens. Uh, most of them have taken their names from the show uh, Call the Midwife. So Sister Monica Joan, Nurse Jenny, and things like that. Uh, sometimes probably the same with you. I've had chickens where I don't name them. And these ones, I think they have names, but I don't know which name applies to a chicken. I've had, um, let's see, we've had rabbits and things. And, uh, and so in my garden, we've got, um, two peach trees, a pear tree. I've got blueberries. I have natural growing, uh, black raspberries from upstate New York. I've got on the back fence, just Concord grapes. So many of them, I can't even count them that just grew up over that fence. And then, um, oh, there's other fruit too, cherry tree. Nice. Um, and then, uh, you know, grow strawberries. I got a nice strawberry patch. And then just a pretty big garden around an above ground pool. But it's amazing. So a third of an acre, how much food mm-hmm. you can get. So I, uh, when it's all coming in, I don't necessarily, uh, you know, you can't eat it all. But uh, to get my green some years ago, I took to juicing, not because I'm a health freak, but I didn't want to throw away like some of the kale and so forth. And now so much of my vegetable intake is in the morning, just grabbing whatever's growing in the garden, the berries and kale, and just throwing it back with some local honey. Now we have two beehives. Uh, we've got two. Um, when you order bees, do they call that a swarm? What are we ordering again? No. Yep. You can also okay. order uh, a nuke, which is a, a nuke. That's, we have two nukes coming. For- okay, good. And what's a nuke then, as opposed to a nuke swarm? Is a oh, swarming is you get a colony. Okay, right. Where they they might split a hive and take you know it's it's more established and and usually with the swarm it's just a bunch of random bees, and they they stick a queen in there, hoping they they get acclimated to her by the time you put them in the hive. So a nuke is maybe or we're a nuke is our a better chance. thing to get. Okay, yeah, and my wife she's taken ninety percent of the lead on the uh, on the beekeeping. Yeah. Um, and I do, I would say, and we have a daughter, our, our second daughter's getting married. Two of our four kids are already married. Lucy's getting married in August. So I've been tasked with growing all of the flowers for the wedding. Oh, nice. And uh, and that's super easy. As you know, it's not very difficult. We'll save so much money by doing it that way. Because uh, Amy, my wife, wants to decorate with a lot of flowers. But I, I do think I'm probably, I'm not one half of your level of knowledge of farming. But in these people who try to do a lot with a little bit of space, probably pretty, pretty damn good at that for the amount of space I have, what I get from it. And it looks beautiful, I would say. Yeah. yeah. It, well, and that's in uh, people don't realize how much food you can grow in a little bit of space. Right. Uh, so, f- for instance, our, we, have, we have a CSA, a Community Supported Agriculture, which means people buy shares in our farm for the season. Mm-hmm. And... We, we our garden might be an acre and a half, maybe not even that much. Uh, but we grow enough on that for usually 30 families. Yep, amazing, right? In the course of 20 some 20 weeks or so. Um, 
and then then we have you know clusters at the end of the season you know what we do is we we have a one hoop house where we grow tomatoes in there during the during the season and over the winter we grow greens like this year this year we did tatsoi spinach and kale which grows i mean you know like everything else on a farm you know it's rhythm everything really slows down around christmas around the solstice mm -hmm. until about about candlemas about saint bridget's day sure. and it's that's true not only for for the growth of the plants in the hoop house but it's also true of the chickens laying eggs, For right? Sure. You, lay. you don't get any eggs really, I mean, very few. Let me ask you, like, if you could add, I don't have artificial lighting. When I raised chickens, it was about 40 to 60 chickens for the Abbey right. of the Genesee. I did, I, I, it wasn't beaming <clears throat> light, but I put two light bulbs on and I put them on a timer for the winter. Right. I haven't read into that. You know, you can increase your production. It is, uh, according to maybe anthroposophical farming and animal husbandry, would you always be against that, even if you could, or would you add some lighting to keep the? Personally, uh, I'm against it. <laughs> okay. How do you articulate body, that body, opposition? Body talked me into doing it one year, okay. and I said, "Well, you know, you're just going to pay for it someplace else. You know, it's not you don't get anything for free." Say so more. Where do you think you? It happens. So if you do the artificial light in the winter, they run out of gas in the summer. Okay. Yep. Right. They they stop laying or they slow down earlier because it's very demanding on the body. Like some of these labor, breeds, what yeah. about two hundred eighty four <laughs> chickens or what? The best laying. So my sense, I don't know if it's true, is like so, some of mine are buff Orphingtons, and I think the number is you know when you buy chickens, they might say they might have a number that this breed is expected to lay two hundred eighty seven eggs in a three hundred sixty five day year. Does that sound about right? Yeah, but. Um... That's, I mean, that kind of production model, right? Where people think in terms of production and not of health yeah. animals and of what you're doing. That's a that's a big difference between conventional and even conventional organic and biodynamic farming or gardening. Oh, totally. And um, but do you think when like Central Tractor says these chickens, this breed could do that? Do you think that's if you press them by artificial lighting? Yeah, things? yeah. I mean, I, that's, okay. Not yeah. unlikely. Now, interesting you mentioned chickens. Yeah. Because at this time of the year is when people will get new chickens, right? Oh, sure. So you, go to, you go to the local feed stores right now, they'll have, you know, big troughs full of, of chicks. Mm -hmm. um, and we were just having a discussion about whether we wanted to buy some chicks this year or hatch them. Um, because I mean, now we don't have the the modern breeds. Most of them, um, it's hard to get them to brood. Sometimes they don't I, brood when you want them to brood, which means set on their eggs, mm -hmm. so they can hatch them. I mean, some do, some don't, but it's hard to get them to do that. You can't predict it, and you need a brooding chamber for those broody hens to, to be brooding on these eggs, mm -hmm. which we don't have in our in our hen house. I mean, I suppose I could build one, one more thing built. So we decided that at least for laying hens that will will incubate some this year. Okay. Which is, it's a pretty, pretty good way to do it. If, so as long as you have a rooster, of course. And um, an incubator. But if we, you know, if we do meat chickens, we'll probably buy some chicks. But, but here I found this this morning. Tell me. In the great compendium, or people know it, the Carmina Gaidelica. Do you know this one? I do not know it. Songs of the Gale, right? Which is was put together, I think. Does it tell you what year? In the 19th century, by Alexander Carmichael. Who was one of those great figures like Cecil Sharp and uh, um, who else was? Well, the Brothers Grimm and okay. William. The Butler first two names I had never heard of. Well, they're all people who. And so Cecil Sharp was. Uh, I think I've seen the name. Kind of a psychologist, and he went around England and maybe Ireland and Scotland. Oh, and collected the old stories. The old songs. Oh, okay, wow. He collected all the old songs, where, like the Grimm brothers in, in Germany were collecting the old stories. Mm -hmm. And Yeats, too, in Ireland was collecting the old stories, right? Hmm. So, but, uh, but Alexander Carmichael, he died in 1912, was uh, 
did the same thing with with prayers and incantations and charms of the of the of the the peasantry, right? Mm-hmm. And here's what he he did for a, a hatching blessing. Now he didn't write this; he collected it from probably some old Scottish woman or something. And it says here, "I will rise early on the morning of Monday. I, I will I will sing my rune and rhyme. I will go sunwise with my cog to the to the nest of my hen with sure intent. I will place my left hand to my breast, my right hand to my heart." I will seek the loving wisdom of him, abundance and grace in broods and in flocks. I will close my two eyes quickly as in blind man's bluff moving slowly. I will stretch my, my left hand over thither to the nest of my hen on yonder side. And it goes on, but it's a blessing of, of uh, the eggs to hatch. I love it. I love it. And this book is filled with them. And there's like, you know, the, you ever seen the movie, uh, The Secret of Roninish? I have. I like it a lot. I it. But remember that's that scene in there where the grandmother blesses the 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 embers when she's making the fire at night. I do. Yep. And she mentions Mary and Saint Bridget. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of stuff that this book is filled with, right? You know what it makes me think of, Michael, is that um, young people. I don't know if it's under the umbrella called mindfulness, but young people who struggle with anxiety. I'm told by my daughter who teaches in a middle school that if somebody's having a panic attack, you know, and we've talked about this word so much, the real, but you know, they're just saying like, focus on a tree, focus on a chair, something that's somewhat real. But like, it makes me think that prayer in that sense or blessing is just another deeper immersion into the real, right? It's like, it's a healthier uh, attentiveness, comprehensive attentiveness to the real. Yeah, and and, and the thing is, I mean, if, if you think about this and I don't do it, right? They have them for blessing the cows and, you know, a blessing on milking, which we don't do, mm-hmm. but, I, you know, because it's not, it's not uh, culturally inculcated into us, right? So there's something that was really lost. And I'm so thankful to these scholars of the 19th and early 20th century who collected all this stuff yeah. because it would be gone. Right, right, right. It'd be absolutely gone. And it gives us, I think... Um, a model for for a humane and healthy way to go about living in the world. And I think it'll come back. Have you, and I'm thinking this is a connection. Have you ever read, I've read two or three of them or heard of the Ringing Cedar series coming out of Russia? No. So I think you would find it fascinating. The premise is uh, this guy, this kind of businessman goes up whichever river into the Tyaga and then he encounters this uh, kind of fairy creature, Anastasia, who kind of lives in a glade and she's friends with bears and stuff. So it's a literary conceit, but I think a lot of people like, um, it seems to push into reality that you wonder, is this guy, did he meet her? Is he making it up? But she's just one of these Rudolf Steiner people who just knows everything, right? And um, her vision is a neat one, but she has, so furthermore, there's a sense that, and it spawned a movement in Russia where, um, you know, most all of their, all of their vegetables, you know, a huge percentage just come from, you know, these little plots. So she, her vision is a five hectare plot of land. Um, and she calls them kin's domains, K-I-N's domains. And, but what she does, and, uh, and it's, it's a very Christian sense of a mother, a mother and father with children, like monogamous marriage. Right. Um, and it, it's a beautiful image, even if the stories or the, the literary conceit is batshit crazy, I just don't know. But when you're reading these these um, stories, you they pass the smell test. For example, we've talked about bees. She says because she you know she studies bees and picture a Rudolf Steiner looking at bees. She'll say they hate square corners. You know, so even if you had like our new hives that we bought, you know, she would say put some putty in there to take the edge off those mm-hmm. corners. And so she just sees things. But um, one of them is, and this is a ritual too, that if you were to plant seeds, there would be heirloom seeds but you put them under your tongue for about five seconds or longer. And she says, you're, the seeds are communicating with your body's needs and so forth. Oh. But anyhow, it's very, very cool stuff. And I got to go back to them because I think I started reading them maybe 15 years ago. And, uh, and you, can, you can get online. And so what they've also developed in Russia, and I don't know the extent to which, how many there are, but if you look up ringing cedars, the first thing you're going to have to do is like so many Marian apparitions, like how do you get the spirit of lords when you have to kind of 
walk through a jungle of tchotchke, you know, all the salesmen and trinkets and so forth. This ringing cedar series was begun with marketing, like the, the Vladimir Migre, I think is the author. He's selling seeds from cedar trees, I guess, you know, and, and making just so much money on it. And despite that horrible commercialism, I read the stories and I still think there's so much there. Uh, but when you were talking about the blessings of these things, she has a very ritualized life. And I wonder if she's just kind of begun with tabula rasa, you know, just, or this guy Megre is a businessman, but also just has these kind of gifts to see something. But I, I don't think it would be a waste of your time to page through them sometime. I'll check that. I will check yep. that out. Sure. And she has all these little rituals you would do and how you plant your herb garden in a spiral, uh, in a circle, and exactly where you place your fruit trees. And she has a map for everybody with their five hectare plot. And they're saying it's creating a revolution in Russia. Interesting. You know, and it's in one sense, traditional meets hippie values. Like picture just uh, Anastasia herself. They paint pictures of her. She would be the most beautiful 1960s Jesus revolution girl you'd ever meet. Mm -hmm. And also the values are quite traditional. And uh, there's just a, yep, very fast. Well, I think that's true. I mean, so I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast. I know I've written about it, but so 30 years ago when Bonnie and I got married, you know, and we were these kind of back to back to the earth. I mean, Bonnie is like the, the ultimate earth earth mother. That's why she, I think she just had eight babies because she was addicted to breastfeeding. Her and Mary Walters, who we had on the Mary program. Mary, yeah. Oh, and, but, yeah. You know, but so so thirty years ago, we were we were into you know we were skeptical of vaccination and, and doctors and the establishment, and we were anti-war, and people thought we were lefties. <laughs> nope, nope. And now it's not how people people don't think like that, or at least. Uh, <laughs> the at least the the left we see on the on on the news or the media most of the time that's that's just polar opposite of what they're like now yeah. which is mind-blowing isn't it isn't it mind-blowing yeah um but you mentioned uh five hectares and you know how fruitful and productive there was a book i think it came out in the 1940s do you know how many five hectares is i'm going to convert it into acres um, how many acres is five hectares i'm not sure 12.3 acres? No. Acres. I don't think this is, huh? Because be. I think this is a five hectare thing, but I didn't, her, her, her establishments were not 12 acres. They were really small, really small. So I must have, maybe it's one hectare. Okay, maybe. maybe. But uh, yeah. so there was this book um, by M.G. Keynes. If you can find it, get it. I had a copy. I don't know what happened to it. I got, I've been looking for another one. It's called Five Acres and in Independence. Hmm. And and he's got he tells you exactly what now he I think he he might rely on chemicals a little bit because he's still the forties, but most of his approach is very sound, right? Mm -hmm. And and this is also um, one of the first probably the first gardening book I bought was uh, John Jevons' How to Grow More Vegetables, huh. and we still follow the principles in that basically, which is. Uh, what we used to be called the the French intensive method. Have you heard of that? Never heard of it. Nope. Never the heard French of it. intensive method is yeah, and and now it's often called bio intensive now. So the idea is so we have a we we have thirty inch beds, thirty inch wide beds, and however long, maybe thirty feet, usually fifty. Um, and why thirty? Because you can reach the other side from one, one yep, pathway. Yep. So the thirty inch beds, uh, fifteen or eighteen inch paths between. Mm -hmm. uh, but the idea with, with the French intensive method is to not have any space there for weeds. So if you're growing lettuce, I'm trying to remember what the spacing for lettuce is. So, so with lettuce, it's usually uh, you have three rows going across and they're, they're, they're kind of in a diamond shape, where okay. you them, but they're staggered. And that what happens is they get big enough and they fill in all the space. So you, you grow them so they're just, so the spacing is that one lettuce will be where its outermost leaves will le reach the leaves of the lettuces yeah. around yeah. it. Um, so that's how you grow more vegetables, right? Mm -hmm. And um, now it's just second nature to you, presumably, right? Yeah. I think I've <clears throat> developed that with broccoli for my own self. I just get it when I'm putting them in there. Yeah. Yeah, and the and and the other thing with that is compost, right? Right. So, and we have not the greatest soil where we are. It's very sandy, but mm -hmm. so we we built it up quite a bit with uh, 
It's cow manure. <laughs> one, one thing about having a cowboy, that really ups your your uh, compost game right there. Right, yeah. And, uh, but, but you know, and what happens that over time, you build it, keep building it up and building it up with the compost and you return fertility to the soil, which is great. And, and yep. you have enough nutrients for those plants that are close, uh, packed so closely together to all grow to, to full size. Yeah. They do. Let me take a minute to do a little soapbox on uh, um, hydrogen peroxide. You know, every college student who's known me over like 20 years would say like, I have a fetish with hydrogen peroxide. They probably do. Um, when, I, when I feel a cold coming on, I'll put hydrogen peroxide in my ears. There's one guy, we're not claiming that it necessarily goes from your ears to your lungs, but yeah. it can't do any harm. And it, your ears are a Petri dish for all this kind of crap. Nonetheless, for so I order it's a it's a company called and I'm not paid by them. It's called Guardian, not Garden, but Guardian of Eden. But I get a gallon full. It comes by kind of hazmat, 35% hydrogen peroxide. So what we know, some people could say it would be acid rain or various other things, but our water probably has less oxygen. Now again, I'm going to put a lot of things out there. I haven't done so much research. A lot of people have said when you go to Lourdes and other places, there is a paper online about a miraculous well in India, and they do test the water, and they find that there's more oxygen in the water. So what is hydrogen peroxide? It's water with what extra oxygen mineral? Um, when I was doing microgreens for the monastery, there was an old monk who they wanted him to have a project he could do. He was going through some health trials and wasn't going to be able to work like in the bread making operation. So I thought, yeah, I'm going to give it a go. So microgreens, right? Uh, these small greens grown to just a few inches. Um, they sell for like $37 a pound or something. Crazy. Yeah, but incredible nutrients in those. And so what I did to try and beat the market was, um, you know, uh, we grew radishes because they were going to have some color and some zest in them. I think it was beets. And then I did sunflowers. Sunflower seedlings are very nutritious for you. And my goal to get us market share was to take, if you went to Johnny's Seeds, you would pay say $7 for maybe half a pound of really good sunflower seeds. But I just bought a bag of like three-year-old black oil sunflower seeds, um, three or four years old. And we know none of these were genetically modified. I soaked those seeds in hydrogen peroxide and I got a 95% germination rate. Wow. And, the, and the literature would say you're going to get about 30% germination rate. So we could, and they were, they were going to be half of our weight for the microgreens and it's super successful. So for that seed starting for people, um, you know, what people need to know with gardening too, Michael, is that when we look at pests and disease, you know, we're always talking about, it's what I call the myth of origins, you know, the big bang and everything happened or the domino theory of history out of our insecurity, we're looking for the thing that causes other things. So the germ theory of disease, but you would get it being a farmer. But once we realize that disease plants invite germs and pests as much as like pests are drawn to plants, you start to realize that when early seedlings are coming up, um, you know, I'll often, if they look a little unhealthy or things are attacking them, I just add a little hydrogen peroxide to the water. And um, it's, it's miraculous. We know that Swiss, Swiss animal husbandry, like uh, cattle farmers and so forth, they're now using hydrogen peroxide, so they never have to use a dewormer. Um, nice. Yep. Um, so, you know, but uh, just go online, just buy your 3% brown bottle at the pharmacy store and, and people, you can take last year's seeds if you want to save money and uh, soak them in whatever it says online, you know, overnight, some water with hydrogen peroxide in there and you're going to get a germination germination rate and a seed starter that's just uh, it'll blow your mind it'll blow yeah. your mind yeah yep. i hadn't heard that yep so uh yeah and the other the thing is though i mean we're talking about disease and insects and problems that people have in their garden the biggest problem i have noticed with people be fledgling gardeners <laughs> is nobody looks up Say it again. What nobody what? Nobody looks up because uh, they don't take into account how much sun you need to grow plants. Yeah, right, right, right. They just don't. They, you know, I've I've talked to people, and they say, "Well, I'm, I'm trying to garden, and it's just not working out." I said, "Well, how much, how much sun do you get? I don't know, about three hours. That's why." Yeah, you're gonna get every every mold, every bug. No, some things don't like twelve hours of hot sun, for instance, like lettuce, and lettuce does not do well in the middle of summer right in the heat of summer but 
Uh, that's what led us to this cool season crop. But in general, people don't pay attention to how much sun they need or they plant underneath a maple tree, which is a top feeder. So it sucks all the nutrients before the plants can get to it. And they don't know why, what's going on. Um, so that's just much of it is just very simple and basic that we don't take pay attention to. Right, right. And I think the two simple things are the soil and the sun. Mm -hmm. right? and if, if you don't, if you don't uh, nurture the, the soil, it doesn't matter how much sun you have. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have enough sun, it doesn't doesn't matter how much you nurture the soil either. Hundred percent. And again, if you have less sun, it's sad because you have to. I would say plant your plants even sadly a little further apart because without the sun kind of drying those leaves and things, you know, you get them too close. Even like your diamond method, I I, I find they're more prone to just start picking up little molds and things. Well, they will. But, but the thing is, I mean, it's just because you're you know it's in a it's in a bad situation. Mm -hmm. So it's you're, it's already uh, it's already sick. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's already well. It's, I shouldn't say that. It's not. It, it it's a good place for plants to grow, just not vegetables. Right. Right. Not things you you know. It's not going to be helpful for that. So that's why mm -hmm. you see, you know, in different uh, ecosystems, you know, micro ecos environments, you know, different kinds of of flora grow in different places for a reason. Right. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, we often, you know, I'll throw down buckwheat or um, rape or something where we move the fence for our chicken coop. And once, so that stuff will grow up. And then when it gets big enough, I'll move the fence back to where it was so the chickens can eat that and move it back, you know? So, and, and you'll notice that a lot of times uh, people um, might wonder why so, so many farm fresh eggs have such orange yolks. Mm -hmm. Well, it's from the beta carotene, right? It's from the grass. Oh, I didn't know that. I know again. It's isn't it becoming more and more by the year? Like, if you put a store bought egg in a frying pan, you know, some people find it hard to eat a brown egg. Let's be honest. You know, then they see that these yellow lokes that can disgust them. But it's just like two weeks having like your own eggs, and you look at these the yolks in a in a frying pan. It's just like all gelatinous, and it slides the whole course of the egg. Right? It's not held in the center of the egg at all, and that pink color. Just starts to look repulsively diseased, you know. Yeah, it does. It's, <laughs> it's dead food. <laughs> and now they're costing people about ten bucks. Uh, uh, what is it? I don't even know what eggs are. Organic eggs in Wegmans, where we are, a dozen organic eggs, I think, are eleven fifty. Yeah, they really. Yeah, I, I haven't checked around here. I think it's at least eight bucks. Yeah. we charge five. That's we charge good. Five, but we, Probably right two now, years ago, you were charging three bucks, weren't you? Or no. Nah, I think the lowest could be been, charging eight, we my friend, four. because the price of eggs is way up. We were at four for a while there. Okay, we're at five now. We could actually, we should probably go higher because because feed isn't getting any cheaper. The nitrogen piece, right? And well, plus it's it's nice. I mean, I don't know about you, we our our guys get a lot. Our girls, I correct myself, get a lot of scraps from the kitchen at this time of the year. Yep. 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 Yeah. You no, know, and I started growing last year for chickens too, which is um, comfrey, you know, oh, yeah. chickens, they love it. They love it. So I mix do, it with their grass clippings. Cows, you know, I, I, do goat. Yeah. It's yeah. great stuff. Uh, the other thing, which people don't know with chickens, and it might might alarm some of our, of our listeners, but they like meat. Yeah. Yep. They like meat. So They also like their own eggs. So a few weeks ago, I, I was butchering a deer, for instance. And I had all these scraps, or actually it was a couple of bones that still had some meat on them. I, I gave one to my dog, of course, and I gave the shoulder blade to the to the, the chickens. Because it, especially this time of year, there are no insects for them to eat. Right. They're not getting protein. And they need protein. And so they, and it's an old farmer trick. Farmers used to like uh, get it, throw a dead squirrel into the hen yard. Mm -hmm. in the winter to, so they got enough protein plus they okay. won't, if they get enough protein they, they don't pick on each other and they don't start eating eggs yeah because they do eat eggs upon occasion absolutely absolutely yeah. we've i've never had a flock where there wasn't like an egg breaker and it can take a while to cure them of it you know and again what i didn't realize is maybe again they're just searching for the protein they're not getting enough of even in the feed in the winter it's part of it yeah yep. and uh <laughs> so 
but but the idea right is to living in harmony with nature in some way or trying to establish some kind of um balance with your your relationship to that night and you realize you know that there's a lot to it. I mean, you know, we've had problems with possums, for instance, in the winter. Not not as bad this year as in other years. But yesterday, I went. Uh, so my job, one of my jobs in the evening, is to to make sure that the cows have water in the barn, mm -hmm. and I bring the cows in. And when I went into the barn, we have a cat. We have a barn cat, um, Doug and Good name for a barn cat. i always feed doug when i go out in the evening and so i fed doug and i'm getting the cows situated and then i turn around and heading for doug's bowl is a skunk wow <laughs> like, oh God. and i know where he's where, where it lives it's probably had babies it's living we have there's a pile of wood in part of our barn like uh-huh lumber that you know it's spare lumber that i'll use for stuff i yeah. guess we're going to that pile this week but, Absolutely. Uh, but, but I was like, I come in the house, I said, well, so there's a skunk right where we milk. And what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. Yeah. I'll probably move away eventually. Tricky sometimes, right? What, yeah. What's been your biggest massacre? You know, at the at the monastery, uh, again, there was a lot of chickens in one Memorial Day weekend. I think um, nobody else was really, I would loaded the feeder up and everything. So it was a three-day holiday. But a weasel started getting in, you know, and a weasel, they're weasley for sure. And they got such a high metabolism that they'll savagely kill a chicken, just eat a little bit, and then they're full. But they're, they're out running so much that they're going to come back. So it was, a, it was a massacre of about three quarters of the flock. And then uh, I became fascinated with weasels, or it could have been a mink. And uh, I think shortly before COVID, when the, the retreat house was closed, um, I was moving some wood in the barn. And it was a, a coop inside a barn that kind of led outside. And there, you know, when you when you make eye contact with certain animals, like these friends you've had for a long time, and I was just moving something, and this weasel that had killed everything really? was just looking at me, and we just held eye contact for at least you know five minutes. He stared at me, and I stared at him, really? and it was beautiful and magical. But also, I just thought, how can I kill this thing that's killing all the chickens? Because yeah. then they are so good at finding their way in. Oh, they yeah, are killing machines, right? And they can climb. Um, I haven't. We haven't had any weasel problems here, but where we oh, used to live, we were. We, we could. I mean, I don't. I don't think I've seen them. Um, we had problems with mink before. Okay. Same family. Same family. Yeah, same vicious. Family. Yep. Yeah, weasel. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so they can be vicious. And I, there was a weasel that, or a, a mink that killed a bunch of chickens one time. Mm -hmm. Um, but generally, the worst it's ever been is last year with the with possums. Okay, killing chickens or just messing with stuff. Well, they eat stuff, they eat the eggs, the okay, the right, right, and they're yeah. so damn slow too, right? Yeah. So, and I knew something. The thing is, you you can tell. I don't know if you, you can tell something's not right, not just mm -hmm. with the animal. You know something's around here, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And but you don't know what it is, and I knew something was in the barn. I figured I thought it was probably a, a raccoon, but nope, it's a skunk. Okay, <laughs> there's not a lot of skunks around here either, so it's it's rare to have skunks, but they're around. What what advice would you give to? Um, I don't think many of our listeners. I, I I'm guessing very few listeners would have more acres than you, or a big farm, a bigger farming operation than you do. So let's talk about people who. You know, I have just started gardening a little bit and want to get deeper into it, or people who are still thinking about doing their first garden. You give some of your advice, I'll give some of my advice. Well, the sun and soil is the first piece of advice. Okay. I also recommend, uh, well, if it's the first year, don't try to do too much. People try to do too much and get overwhelmed. Um, one step at a time slow and steady wins the race right mm -hmm. so and I, I do highly recommend the 30 inch bed wide bed it's a it's okay. a wonderful thing um how high do you raise the bed i don't raise them i mean i raise okay. them uh, what we so we don't we we do no-till gardening yeah yeah means we don't use a plow uh we do i mean i'll use uh rototiller if i'm cutting new sod which you know, there, there there are good things and bad things about that. The good thing mm -hmm. is it, it's quick. The bad thing yep. is 
you dig up all the old weed seeds. So you, you rototill once, you're going to, it'll take a, a, a couple of years, two or three years to get that bed in where you want it. Um, but so, so after I do that, so I form the beds and, and, and I, what I you do is you rake out from the, where the pathway will be from opposite. Right, right, right. Yep. That's essentially what I do. Go up six or eight inches and then add compost on top of that. But what we do, the really a magical thing, which I re highly recommend is getting a broad fork. Okay. Which is a kind of a, well, it's like a garden fork, right? But it's. 20 inches wide or 27 inches wide and it's got long teeth about 18 inches about a foot long and you use that to loosen the soil up and i'm sure you can find videos on how to use a broad fork if you don't know how to do it but it's really useful and really helps uh with the capillary action of the soil and mm -hmm. fights compaction and so and, and then we that's that's the only tools maybe we'll hoe but that's about the only tool we use on our on our beds once they're established mm -hmm. and it's only to to keep it from um you know giving in too much to gravity to, to, mm -hmm. to compacting and, and sinking in the street that runs right behind my house um is called clay street you know i can't describe how clay my soil is you know there's some parts of my yard and i've just worked it so much i never had a huge truck come in but you know years and years of compost leaves really in the fall you know just getting the grass leaf mixture and so forth and it's pretty good but compaction is such a problem that um, no-till can be tricky for me because it's you know it's really going to um compress a lot i i, sh I should probably get a broad fork i've worried be the clay soil is so heavy that i just i i've you know done so much with just spading and turning over and um, well, it's, it's easier than spading and turning over too that's the other thing but is the broad fork is that going to be are the tines strong enough or am i going to bend them? oh yeah oh they are okay yeah yeah they're strong and and what's what's good about that is uh another thing we talk to about i just got to run real quick first i feel i'm so alone right now uh the other thing is ladies and gentlemen let's talk about mike <laughs> he won't know until he sees the the tape he's a pretty good guy but but anyway yeah so the idea with using a broad fork is that way you're not disturbing the levels of the soil because you want the richest soil on the top and it eventually works its way down and if you don't like mike was talking about flipping the soil or doing that every year you do that every year it's like rototilling and you just a lot of times what you do is you dig up weed seeds and you know, it's like you start over from scratch every year. So that's why our recommendation is to not flip the soil. I mean, if you can flip sod when you're first starting gardening, you want to flip sod, that can be useful, but you know, it's going to come back. It's going to, it takes a couple of years to get sod under control. Um, so, and it depends on, especially we have a uh, quack grass here, which is a pain and it drives me insane. But, uh, you know, you just have to come to terms. Yeah, and you have to know your soil. You have to know your microclimate, and you have to know your soil. I, I just talk smack about you, but uh, oh yeah, <clears throat> I was a talk about nature. Nature called for the first time since we've done this podcast. Uh, nature beckoned to me in a way that hadn't. He's been holding it since May of last year. People. <laughs> um, so yeah, so and there's so many uh. There's so much that goes into farming and gardening, but you don't you don't think about it. Yeah. But um, you know, it's a great. But on the other hand, don't you think? And not to interrupt you. It's, on the other hand, um, it's just like I don't know why this this uh, this analogy came to me. But like working for the Catholic Church, you're training altar servers, and I I, I tell them, okay, you do this, you do this, you do this. But you also remind them it's just like setting and cleaning the table. Right, you're setting the table and clearing the table. Right. So gardening, I would tell people in a similar way. The reason we love it, it's infinitely deep, it's heartbreaking, but it's also kind of like throwing a seed in the soil and trying to nurture it. Yeah, I mean, you, you yeah. be, you're, and you be, the thing is, I was just reading today. Actually, it was an article which I never read the articles in the the Stella Natura calendar, the biodynamic gardening calendar, but I just uh -huh. had. It was that Bonnie was looking at it for something, and I looked at. I was reading this article, which was about vegetarianism versus biodynamic farming, because uh, 
in a way, the, the, uh, the article was arguing that some people who are vegans or, you know, like extreme vegetarians um, think they're, they're not involved in death, in the death of animals and stuff. But um, what's the line from Chesterton? I don't know. The silent scream of the animal kingdom and the green blood of the, or I'm sorry, the green blood of the vegetable kingdom. So he yeah. wants to, you know, life feeds off of life. So he talks about like, you know, crushing a piece of celery in the green blood that oozes out. Yeah. And that's why you see people like Bill Gates, for instance, who's trying to get everybody to get rid of their cows. Bonnie's pissed and she keeps posting pictures of cows on, on social media. Uh -huh. Because as we know, he doesn't know because he's not a farmer. But as anybody could tell you, without, and this is in biodynamic farming, a big, major, important principle that without animals, you have, you don't have healthy plants right. and vice versa, right? That's why it's a closed system, right? That's what's important about it. And it, what I, what the, I shouldn't say the one thing, but one thing I have learned from being a farmer or gardener for 30 years or more is that, that you're invested and you're participating in the cycle of life mm -hmm. and, and you see how sacred it is right yep. because people think you know when and so in may for instance we'll be taking our steer to, to slaughter you know and it'll come back in nice bags um but we're we love that cow <laughs> we, were yeah, that, yeah. we love that guy mm -hmm. but you know he's had he's had a good life. He was giving me a little trouble this morning, but uh, he's had a good life, and we have had a good life with him. But he's part. We're all part of this this uh, this cycle, and um, I think um, the animal kingdom in the, in this way. I mean, if you treat them with reverence, first of all, big time, and not as a thing, as as an expression of ideology. And don't persona, you know, uh, anthropomorphize them because they're not. I mean, you know, they're still animals. And I knew when we had when we had pigs that if I would have, you know, collapsed in, in the pig yard, no one would be able to find me because the no. pigs would have eaten me before the day was the, over, right? The word and is I the like pigs. very aware of that. I love them, but, but that's how it is, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. But I, but I, it's, but there is a sacredness in being connected to the the cycle of of birth and death. Yeah, right. And I think. I think the, go ahead. Yeah. I think our culture is hates both, hates fertility and hates death. Yep. So yep, 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 so yep, yep. We'll yep. try to you know, to push it to the margins, and if you own your 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 relationship in in this thing called life, you're in the middle of it. Um, there, there is a sacredness that comes with it, and I, and I, and I grew up in the city like you, Mike, and and you don't have that gratitude for for the things on your plate mm -hmm. if you're you're so distanced from where it's where it's where it comes from, right? Right. I I have mad respect for vegetarians. Our friend Guido, I think, is. 99% vegetarian, but I think he would agree with us too, that for me, the issue of scale is much more important than, you know, they say like in agribusiness, if you're, let's say you're a vegetarian and you got your vegetables from, uh, you know, an industrial farmer, they say the number of field mice, you know, chopped up in the combines, you know, yeah. so again, the whole point, you know, again, <laughs> Jefferson saw it, life feeds off of other life as a Christian, you know, that seems to be maybe one of the main storylines, you know, at the, at the book of Revelation, something went wrong at dinner in the in the Garden of Eden. And then you traverse the whole narrative of the Bible and you find yourself looking at the lamb, kind of making eye contact with it as you kind of slit its throat. Right. And you're saying thank you. And this is Eucharist, folks. But the um, there's nothing I was I was talking to a member of parish council. He might be listening to this last night. and we We're talking about I think it fell along the conservative liberal thing. But, you know, of course, we're involved in violence in some way. Sure, I guess so. But uh, and it went into eating and vegetarianism and so forth. But you can be a meat eater and be a bigger foe of industrial you know, uh, animal husbandry. And again, oh, yeah. like 
you can be a meat eater and know that like we should never ever treat animals uh, horribly in the industry. There's sacred ways of killing. There's not sacred ways of killing, but uh, we have to flush this issue out because where we both agree is that if you think going vegetarian is removing you from the mystery of our existence on this planet, you're, um, you're, you're out to lunch. Now, if you think eating lower on the food chain is healthier, I think you're probably right. You know? Um, I don't know if that's right. Or not. I was a vegetarian for 12 years. I don't know yeah. if it's <laughs> no, lower, lower on the food chain, not meaning purely vegetarian. Like I try, I don't know if it's the food pyramid or the thing, but yeah, I try and get a lot of vegetables and I try to minimize too much red meat and things. Yeah, we do a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Are you there? Hold on a second. Uh, oh, okay. You're looking for something. Yeah, so the, um, uh, I guess I was thinking again of like, it came up several times this week with students and so forth, like the animal rights piece. And, um, oh, I heard on the news yesterday that some sheep escaped from a slaughterhouse in like New Jersey or Connecticut, I think it was a national news story. And I, I couldn't listen to it. For some reason, I found it captivating because the police who had to round them up uh, were saying there's no way in hell that these things are getting returned to the slaughterhouse. But I don't think that they were speaking from a position that um, eating meat is wrong. I just wonder, and maybe a listener would know, it seemed to be that like there is some convention maybe in the world that if animals escape from the slaughterhouse, they don't have to get returned, almost like the pardon of the turkey. But I wanted to spend some time looking up that story today because these were just regular police officers and they wouldn't strike you from like a downtown area as people who cared so much that like nobody would ever kill an animal to eat. But yet they were going to defend these sheep from ever going back there. Well, and I just wondered if it was like a, some poetry to it. Well, that's what happened. Now, this deer I butchered last month, what happened is our chiropractor ran into it with his plow. Okay. And he felt terrible. I mean, he went and ran into the house to get a gun to shoot it to, to keep it from suffering anymore, right? Yep, yep. Both front legs. And in the meantime, the state police had come there and they, they killed it because they didn't want to see it suffer either, right? Sure. But, but what I think is important though, I mean, here, I'm going to go back to the, the Carmina the Gedelica. Here's a herding blessing. Traveling moorland, traveling townland, traveling mossland long and wide. Be the herding of God the Son about your feet. Safe and whole, may you return home. Be the herding of God the Son about your feet. Safe and whole, may you return home. The sanctuary of Karmic and of Columba be protecting you going and coming. And of the milkmaiden of the soft palms, bride of the clustering hair, golden brown, brown. And of the milkmaid of the soft palms, bride of the clustering hair, golden brown. So uh, intentionality means everything, right? Yeah, right. You're, and the disposition towards that which you're encountering. I mean, you know, Native Americans, right? When they would, when they would, and I still, they still do. Uh, but when they would shoot a deer, for instance, mm -hmm. the first thing you do is thank the animal for giving. Up the whole culture is filled with thanking it. You're thanking the tree that gives you the, you know, right. or even in in ancient Hindu culture, the milk blessing and so forth. Yeah, more and more of this, folks. More and more and of I, this. I wrote about this in Sophia in Exile. I mean, a few years ago. I was in my deer blind and this buck came out. It was like, it became, it was mystical the way he came out of the swamp, mm -hmm. you know, it just presented himself to me. And I remember talking to Reese Schroeder Shaker about it later that day. She said, Michael, you know, Native American people I know say, you don't kill a buck. A buck gives itself to you. Interesting. Yeah. Right. Which is true. I mean, you know, and, 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 and I think this goes back to what we're talking with with last week with James James Tunney right when he's talking about how the the fairies must have gotten mad at him for for spilling too much of the beans and made his bathtub overflow and yeah they're they making my keys disappear at mm -hmm. scale for about a week but nature knows um when you're when you when you're thankful and when you've said too much and when yeah you know what I mean it's that, it's that presence to the invisible kingdom and the visible kingdom where you realize that and this, and this goes back to farming and gardening right you realize when you're in that garden or you're in the forest and and you're not alone 
and it doesn't mean and it doesn't mean you're in the company of just animals and stuff either mm -hmm. and plants there's something else going on totally that. and unmitigatedly and i'm glad you mentioned that like you no know, reason enough and you have to tell people it's like um you know reason enough to get into gardening james tunney also mentioned like earthing right just to have your feet connect to soil um and what that can do we know he's right but i again on my little third of an acre only which of uh less than a fourth do i have the big garden and the trees are in different places and there's still plenty of room you know my youngest son lacrosse gold disc golf things going back there but the um yeah i mean there's no what would you do without those moments in the garden where you're just there and you feel like you're surrounded by uh the whole kingdom you know um yeah. you know and it's usually it's a it can be right after a period of frustration and um you know, you're just out there and you had to be problem solving for a while. Then your brain, uh, you, let's say you solved the problem, you just kind of gave up. Your brain kind of like detentions and you have this kind of dilated awareness and there's so much coming in. And it can be on a sunny day. It can be on a really crappy day. You can be in the mud. You can be in just like really dry, loamy soil, you know. And so everybody should have some connection with the land. And I say that again, thinking of uh, the anxiety epidemic going on, other uh, strength that comes to you that, you know, when you're out there. Something is giving you sanity, serenity. Um, you know. And again, let, let, let's visit for a little bit that the frustration piece is real. I always tell people who are going to take the next step into gardening to think that this year they would want to save on their food budget, right? You know, so stage one is you have a couple of uh, people grow tomatoes and basil and maybe cucumbers. Stage two is playing a little bit more. Then all of a sudden somebody, and maybe they haven't played with stage one or two, but they want this thing to be real. And all I can say is even with YouTube, where everything is there, it's heartbreaking. You know, yeah. it's gonna break your heart a million ways yeah. backwards. When you have all these broccoli plants and you just didn't watch the YouTube video on the cabbage loper, and he's they are these white little seeds in the bottom and you didn't see them. And then all of a sudden they go right to the heart of the broccoli yeah. fruit. Yep, yep. Well, it happened in 2020. 2020 was a bad year. <laughs> on the uh -huh. farm and it was bad because we had late frost and we had super early frost mm -hmm. so we had frost on september 19th which is unheard of way too early yeah. way too early and it was a hard frost too it wasn't just a little bit of frost it was you know it got down to 27 degrees or something mm -hmm. and killed half the garden yep, didn't yep, kill the yep. kale and stuff like that but it killed all the tomatoes killed the peppers killed the squash it was a it was a disaster but and, and like you said it's heartbreaking but yep. that's part of it's part of the gig right yep, yep. Is, and it's part of it's like talk about a mirror of life right 100 percent. yeah i mean yep. you're participating in in the creation and that's part of it right yeah so we encourage people to uh i'm gonna have to run in a little bit for a meeting but we, uh, we certainly encourage people to um and it takes it takes some money to get involved too. I think people think gardening, you know, it's food for free. In one sense, it is, but uh, and it's not as simple as saying you got to uh, spend money to make money. But it, here in upstate New York, depending on where you are, more in the village where I am than I'm a, where I work than the country right. where I live. You do need the deer are so aggressive here because there's not as much food. Essentially, before you would get into gardening, I would tell people. Find 1500 bucks and you need a nine foot fence or two six foot fence. Um, so you, again, so that otherwise that heartbreak is for sure. You know, when you fall in love, you're risking heartbreak. Uh, but the heartbreak of not having a fence is for sure. That's right. You know? and, um, the other thing is, this is a very simple thing. Don't skimp on tools. Right, right. So people buy like really cheap spade or fork from the hardware store or rake and this happens to me with rakes all the time and they break almost right away yep yep right so you put some money into a decent tool it's i i still the spade and fork i i have i've had them for 30 years do you ever sharpen your spade not so much i i do um if i have to like cut tree roots or stuff like that yeah i'm thinking about them. doing it because there's a guy he writes he's a guy from down under but he's right. He writes this book called The Intelligent Gardener. And there's another one. I forget his name. Really excellent books. But he he knew he wanted to garden for money, you know, and he was spending money to bring in really great topsoil and so forth. But one of his things, uh, and specifically because I have this super clay soil 
that he says it's amazing when you sharpen a spade how easy it is to just and I, i've never yeah. done it I've we don't never need, done our it. soil is so sandy here it's not necessary you're actually in the midwest yeah but when i was doing landscaping with that spade mm -hmm. cut you know digging up bushes or something like that or pruning root pruning trees then i would i would sharpen it but, but how much does a good spade cost then so i i, I don't think i have the cheapest I, well mine so 30 years ago the one i bought was 110 dollars Okay, so you do have to spend money on that. Yeah. yeah, but it's solid, man. It's 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 a real work of art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'll buy a good one this year because the, the one I've been using for the last couple of years is getting flimsy, a little bit rusty, and things. And when I invest this year, maybe I'll just throw some money at it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Yep, yep. No, you do. You have to make the investments. Um, I do find, I don't know, like this indoor seed starting thing, I tend not to do tomatoes myself. I find if I'm going to do 60 tomato plants, I'm just as happy buying, um, you know, the, the uh, rot, certain types of rots are very endemic for the clay soil around here. And I get those species that are going to be good, but I certainly start um, all of my flowers, all of my kale, all everything else I start inside. Broccoli, some years I do, because you have to start it so early and they get kind of spindly. I have more and more artificial lights. Um, up here in New York, more and more people are gonna be growing pot, you know, because it's legalized and so forth. Um, and, uh, but anyhow, uh, again, like uh, I think we both encourage people to, to, if they haven't done it before, make that journey. Absolutely. And so thanks, everybody, for listening to the Regeneration Podcast. Michael and I thought we'd visit this gardening theme a couple of times, maybe not for a whole show, but visit it throughout the growing season. You know, if, if anybody's going to take the plunge this year, what are you doing this weekend? I'm actually going to be trimming. I, I'm not crazy. I'm trimming some more Concord grapes. They're wild. Um, you know, they overgrow. And I don't think we're looking for a really, really deep freeze. So leaving some expor, exposed um, things is fine. Same thing with my uh, natural, like local up here, wild black raspberries. I'll start whacking those down even this time of year. I can do the same thing with peaches. Uh, less so peaches, I'm sorry, like my pear tree, I'll take the branches now. And so when they really start growing, I've already cut off where it's going to dangle and hit the ground and things. So there's something you can be doing almost every month. Yeah. Um, main thing I'm doing right now is trying to lay up enough firewood for next season. Next yeah, year. you mentioned. Yeah. Um, but I so just speaking of grapes and fruit trees, just last week, maybe it was earlier this week, I pruned my fruit trees. And before that, like the week before that, I took some cuttings from the grapes so I can start another another line of grapes. Oh, cool. Um, and actually, I have ordered. Get this. This is kind of cool. Um, I ordered some pawpaw trees from a local conservation really? district mm -hmm. which is, they, have you ever had pawpaws no yeah in the south i think they're like they call them michigan bananas because it's like okay. basically it looks like kind of like a small mango and it tastes like uh -huh. a banana when it grows in michigan cool. um, i got ordered some of those and uh i also ordered but from some place far away uh, uh a quince and a meddler I had quince when I was growing up. Okay. Quince, we, I had one actually, we had, we had this little garden, actually speaking of landscaping, we had this little garden, well, it was a big little garden in Oak Park, Michigan, mm -hmm. which I made like a potager. It was like, it was definitely a, a landscaper's garden because they had not, it was like a knot garden very much. Mm -hmm. And I had espaliered apple trees as, as the tree, as the fence around it. Uh, but I, at that time, I, I had a little little quince tree, but the quinces were like bowling balls. They were huge. Yeah, they were right. delicious. Huh. And a meddler, do you know what a meddler is? No, I don't. A meddler is a weird thing. Shakespeare mentions it in his plays. And it looks, I don't know what it looks like. It looks kind of like a brown persimmon. It's just okay. a weird looking thing. But it rare, they're hard to find uh, in Michigan. I had one, I had a little one at one time. I, I ordered a, a, a another one this year because I would love to have it. Those things growing here. Really miss having quinces. Uh-huh. I'll try, I might try quince this year. Um, yeah, I don't think, am I taking, Amy and I, we lost, a, we took down a big pine tree, so we'll be buying some. You know, when when we take down a tree, we try and throw something productive in. Our friend Tara Theek, 
which is so great. I think before the first time I talked to her, maybe on the um, first time we had her on the podcast, we had had some correspondence, but she had just finished a genius Twitter thread. And uh, to say genius Twitter thread is to say Tara just did something on Twitter. She's so good. Yes. But it was on the Bradford pear, right? It's a decorative pear tree that's everywhere. It's ubiquitous in the Northeast, but it doesn't produce shit for pear. Excuse my language. Yeah. Yeah. So whenever, when a tree comes down, then we try, and I'm not, again, beauty. You, you both, I, I always have so many flowers and I don't always look at my flowers as like pollinators or anything. I just like them because they're pretty. And so I don't want to put an emphasis on everything has to be practical. But when, sometimes when we have an ornamental bush, if we can put up a blueberry bush or something, that's what we're about lately. Yeah. So I do have to run and we okay. thank everybody for listening to the Regeneration Podcast. Have a great weekend, Michael. You too. Yep. And we'll see everybody next week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.